Welcome to the Rare Earth Podcast, a place where I bring in rare individuals to have rare conversations. My name is Manoj, your host, and now let's get the show started. Hey guys, Manoj here. Welcome to another episode of the Rare Earth Podcast. My guest in this episode is an audiophile. His name is Raghav Somani. Uh, he's the founder and the CEO of a company called Headphone Zone, which is India's first exclusive online store for headphones, earphones, and personal audio devices. He features some of the world's finest headphones from brands best known for their sound, design, and style. He started Headphone Zone in the year 2010 after realizing that most of the big brands had very little or no understanding when it came to electronic accessories such as headphones and earphones and he also realized that a lot of customers had very little options in terms of getting better understanding so his company today is really committed to personalize the listening experience raghav is not only an audiophile but also a very driven entrepreneur he's an amazing storyteller which you will discover in this conversation and he's got a very deep and wide understanding about his subject So in this episode you will learn some really interesting things to really understand what is good quality audio. You will also understand what to look for when you're actually buying a pair of headphones or earphones and what does it take to really delight your customers. Some great testimonials you'll get to hear. So please join me in this wide-ranging conversation with the one and only Raghav Somani. Welcome to the show and this was like a shot in the dark because I I discovered about you on the new social platform uh, Clubhouse and uh, thanks to Tushar he actually you know brought you in as a a specialist when we were speaking on a topic on how to really select headphones and when I heard you speak I was really I was feeling like really bad that for so many years I didn't discover about headphone zones uh, <laughs> I I was really annoyed that I got to connect with you and your company so you know late but better late than never really nice to have you and uh, found you on that show so welcome on the show yeah thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here uh, clubhouse is a lot of fun it's great to be able to see a new platform emerge out of nowhere and i'm really just happy to share what i know and what i care about with others and uh, in fact i have uh, made a ton of notes to ask you uh, <laughs> but when it comes to the technical aspect of sound and really looking at the quality of equipments that we go for I I am completely an amateur so you know bear with me in case I'm going to ask you questions which are very granular you know what it means so uh, are you cool with that <laughs> you know, I I don't think I'm really an expert when it comes to sound or sound technology but of course I'm happy to you know share what I know okay great yeah so I want to start with a very interesting thing about you which I read which says that you have a Guinness world record in airline baggage tag collection yeah it's so true please tell a little about that Okay, so it's a hobby, the one that goes back to my childhood. I like collecting airline baggage tags. Now, typically, I used to live in a large joint family, and people would go travel abroad or whatever. You know, you come back with a suitcase, and you typically have a sticker of the airline that you flew, or a baggage tag left over of the airline that you flew, and that used to always fascinate me. I don't remember this, but the story goes that I used to like drawing airplanes like most kids do. But the toughest part of drawing the airplane used to be the tail design of the aircraft. And to make my life easier, I would cut out the logo of the airline from the baggage tag and stick it on my dress. <laughs> um, and that's how the collection really started. I was 14 years old when I was awarded the Guinness World Record for the largest collection of airline baggage tags in the world. At the time, it wasn't a very large collection. I think it was about 500 or 600 different kinds of baggage tags from maybe about 120, 130 airlines. 
And that eventually grew to a collection of now almost about two and a half or three thousand baggage tags. And I must admit that I don't spend as much time, you know, with my collection, curating it, collecting it as much as I should. But it's been now what almost 16 years since I've had the world record for this. Wow. <laughs> but my fascination for it today is a little different. I'm really, I look at airline baggage tags as really a metaphor for looking at how the world has changed year after year, decade after decade. Now, if you really think of the history, the geopolitical history of a country, the airline is a really good representation of that. If a country or a region in the world is evolving and changing with time, you see that change with the airlines representing that country, right? Take something like Singapore, the Singapore of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and then after Mm -hmm. evolution. Look at something like Emirates, an airline from Dubai. Uh, the Emirates of the 70s and the 80s is very different from the Emirates of, of today. And you get to see that evolution on the baggage tag of the airline. Of the world, it would seem, at least in the aviation industry, has moved away from the US and from Europe to now Asia. And that the evolution of the baggage tags of these airlines has really changed with time. The other thing that you get to see is how the world moved from you know, an extremely luxurious, romantic notion of air travel, where if you were really traveling by air or you're flying somewhere, it was a first-class experience, you know, matched by none, a real luxury. To today, air travel becoming more and more of a commodity, a necessity that's accessible and available to everybody. And you see the changes in design on the baggage tags with time, where as air travel becomes more accessible and as countries change and evolve through time. And I really enjoy seeing that through the airline baggage tags that I collect through history. Wow, that's an amazing uh, story, man. Like at 14, you really cracked the Guinness World Record of uh, largest collection then. And uh, how was the feeling when you really got that title? So I'll be honest with you, right? So I, it wasn't really a goal that I set for myself and then ended it. It happened. I've always been somebody who wanted to do things a little different. So I never collected coins and stamps as a kid. With that intention. Yeah, with that intention. I was always trying to do something a little different. And I thought that, hey, listen, if everyone's doing this, then why don't I do something else? Because I'm not going to be the biggest coin collector or stamp collector in the world, but this could be something I could do. And we had just gotten a new internet connection at home with the desktop computer at home. And I was just discovering the internet and what websites were like. And when I went to the Guinness World Record website, I just sent them a simple email saying, hey, guys, I collect airline baggage tags. What's your current record for, for, for this? And sure enough, I got a reply from them saying that, oh, that's interesting. You don't have a record for that. But if your collection is large enough, here's how you can apply. And that's pretty much what I did. And then I broke my record again a couple of years later. So I've got like a whole bunch of Guinness World Records to to show for it. And then I was waiting for some competition to come in to make the entire thing exciting, but it seems that <laughs> there aren't too many people in the world who are into this hobby. With COVID, I think uh, the whole game changed with traveling scene at the moment, at least. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think airline baggage tags are as prevalent today as they were earlier. I remember the last time, I don't know about you, if you took a flight on Indigo or Go Air, I don't think you even see a baggage tag anymore mm-hmm. uh, you know, travel. So I think that now, you know, with digitization, barcodes, all these things coming in, some of these things are no longer as commonly seen everywhere. But that's a, that's an interesting story, man. That too, at a very young age. So I, I learned about you that you come from a ninth generation entrepreneur, okay, yeah. which means uh, you had a series of businesses in the families over the years. 
Okay. And I, I learned that you actually started with a job. You actually had a regular corporate job. <laughs> <laughs> and my original question would have been like the obvious choice would be business, but you actually had a job and uh, you felt that you were much, much smarter than your bosses. So could you tell a little about that? Yeah, I come from a very old entrepreneurial family business. We can trace our corporate history back to 1696, mm. much before the British showed up. And through through the generations, through the years, we've done a bunch of different things. My family has been involved with money lending, at least what was money lending back in the 16th, 17th century with banking services and transfer of, of capital for the British government. We were involved then with cotton and cotton ginning and then for the last uh, century or so my family has been involved in the steel industry my father moved away from all of that into electronics in the 1980s and that's the legacy that i've continued from there we were also into aviation we used to have a bunch of helicopters doing crop dusting and things like that in the 1950s and 60s so my family's you know always been a very entrepreneurial family for a long time and uh, i'm probably the ninth generation in a series of entrepreneurs in the family that have uh, done something very interesting or the other yeah and i went to b school in, in in singapore i was there for four years doing my bachelor's in business and i was convinced that i would have to be the first generation to not go back to a family business and actually do something in the corporate world in the corporate sector and i was very motivated to do that i had a, a, a degree in commodity trading singapore is a, a huge hub for trading and a maritime hub and i loved i love the city I, I loved the years that i was there and my first job was with a shipping company based out of Singapore and they were one of the largest shipping companies in the world and I was very excited to get that position because I genuinely was very passionate about the industry and after doing the job for a few months I very quickly realized that this isn't for me I was I thought very arrogantly back then that I was smarter than my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's boss <laughs> um, and I'm like I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> okay uh, and so yeah but then when I graduated I came back to my family business and that evolved into headphone zone as you see it today okay and what was the window of time you were with the company I was there for maybe about three months or so I wasn't there for very long all right and now just for the benefit of our audience if you were to introduce yourself what exactly do you do so I run a company called Headphone Zone. It's a website today that sells really expensive headphones. And you'll tend to find that we have about 100 different brands of headphones and earphones. And there will always be a couple of really famous brands that typically four-letter brands that start with the letter B that we don't sell on our website. And there's a reason for that because we're very focused on selling the best sounding headphones anywhere in the world and we think that today headphones are headphones that you can do headphones serve multiple purposes in our life they're an extension of our digital life they're essential to everything we do but for us headphones are first and foremost instruments to listen to music to really experience what good music can sound like and therefore you'll find that we've built headphone zone as a destination for people who are very passionate about music listening and it's not just that they're passionate about music listening, they care very deeply about the way the music sounds. And we call these people audiophiles and Headphone Zone is really a, a destination website for people who love listening to music. And I've learned uh, that your company has a obsession towards customer service. Okay. And, and it, it, is, it is not just uh, one of those mission statements companies really write on their boards. I, I think you guys really walk your talk uh, you know, and uh, the testimonials that we see from customers 
uh, who really rave about it. There is like when, when we speak about Apple as a brand, there is a cult following. People really rave by the brand. They really stand by what they believe in. It's like a it's a hard, strong conviction that people hold. Similarly, I see even though it may not be the you can't compare it with large audience numbers, but then the people who come to your website and people who have had firsthand experience getting info from your website or they made some purchases, they really rave about the brand and it comes from a place with total genuinity. Okay, so I really want to know what got you so obsessed about customer focus? You could have actually been a very business focused guy selling headphones and doing the usual stuff. So why did you really choose not to be in that line of work? So I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive, right? To have great brand loyalty, to have great people value your customer service for them to really value the importance that you place on the customer is all good business. They're not mutually exclusive. right there are industries where giving people great customer service is not good for business i can i can think of a lot of industry um, but in our industry i don't think that's true i think that we're not here let me give you a little bit of a story all right when jrd tata was at the helm of air india and he was growing air india international as the massive airline that was really the flag bearer of india and it was expanding to countries and nations all around the world he had launched the bombay to london new york service so you'll find that with these jet aircraft you couldn't have a direct non stop flight from bombay to new york so you would have to do a stop over in london for example and then on from london to new york so on the london new york leg air india would actually compete with the giants of the industry british airways and pan am so at a press conference for this in new york jrd tata was asked by a member of the press that mr tata you're a small airline from india with of very small fleet with very little experience and expertise how do you think you are going to compete with the giants and the stalwarts of the industry like pan am and british airways in the london new york leg and mr tata straightened his back looked at the journalist and said because my friend we're not trying to be the biggest airline in the world we're simply trying to just be the best and that's what air india was air india truly was the best airline in the world at the time and you flew like the maharaja the the customer service experience was parallel to none and you had the best and the finest women that were stewardesses on air india giving customers real maharaja experience where air india was probably the best thing that india had as an ambassador so much so that when lee kuan yew the the prime minister founding prime minister of singapore decided to create an airline that was a reflection of its country and they didn't have the expertise to do this they were looking for a partner to help mentor them the airline that they chose from all the airlines in the world to uh, learn from was air india and really? singapore airline has singapore airlines has, has been consistently rated as the world's best airline for the last right. year or so but it was really air india that showed them how to do this the irony that's a great story man i didn't know that okay the irony of the situation is that things have changed so much. yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> but i take a lot of inspiration from that story we're never going to be the biggest sellers of headphones and earphones in the country or the world right you have the amazons the flipkarts the big bazaars the boats of the world that are going to do that so we're really not trying to be the biggest we're just trying to be the best but what does the best place to buy headphones mean it has to mean a couple of different things but i think foremost it needs to be a place where customers genuinely believe that you have a person who understands their passion for music 
understands what they need and is able to give them great customer service otherwise you really have no business selling anything to a customer we take customer service we call it customer happiness and i think that we're a customer obsessed company we really value it more than anything else and i genuinely think that we should set the benchmark for the best customer service in our industry because i think that as a country we're just so used to shitty customer service that we stopped even expecting it i think really yeah i think we have really brought the standards too low wherein we don't even expect that should be a customer service so uh, when you guys come in and really start offering uh this level of customized customer service where people feel that you guys understand what their requirement is i think that is definitely is a game changer any favorite uh, customer stories that you like to share anything which really stands out man i've got too many but one of the things that i'd like to share is that we borrowed our customer service motto from a brand that i really like the ritz carlton mm. i really believe that they have some of the best hotels around the world and they've really built a strong brand around their customer service and in every hotel you'll find in their foyer area or in the lobby area they put up their customer service motto on top mm. um and i liked it so much that i thought i'd borrow it and apply it for my own it goes something like this we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen and i really like that for a couple of reasons one because it tells you that you should expect the kind of customer service that you should expect a company to give you the kind of customer service that you would expect if you were a lady or a gentleman but similarly it puts the onus on us to give our customers the kind of service that we would expect in return mm. so you'll find that we don't do the usual crappy things of giving a uh, great customer service of addressing your customer by sir and ma'am we don't do that we simply address them by name because we really don't think customers are gods customers are customers but that means that we need to treat them the way that we would like to be treated and i don't usually be in saying that the customers doing us a favor by giving us an opportunity to serve them and things like that because i really think that sells sets a very lofty goal that you can't achieve if we just remember at the end of the day that we are ladies and gentlemen and we're here to serve ladies and gentlemen the way we would like to be served then i think it makes a life a lot easier we've stuck to that i don't know if i have a good story to tell you but i'm sure there are countless ones that i can really think about it okay nothing specifically that comes to your mind anything which your team said uh, in the recent times okay so one of the things that we do is we took inspiration from a restaurant where we went out for dinner a few years back and one of my friends got an upset stomach and had food poisoning and called up the owner of the restaurant and complained about the fact two three days later that listen i came to your restaurant ate and i got so sick and i just thought i'd call you up and tell you that this happened and the restaurant owner was so upset about it that he sent over a, a cake and flowers and stuff like that to to her home to apologize for this and of course we never ended up going back to the restaurant but i remember the story so clearly because we were so moved with the idea that this person took the genuine effort of sending a cake and we took that idea and we really have an unlimited chocolate cake budget in our organization <laughs> so, so you'll typically find that there are so many threads on facebook and twitter where you'll see a customer saying that oh i got my delivery late i needed this by monday i had my friend's birthday on tuesday but the damn thing came on tuesday evening and now my friends you know hate me i hit headphone zone the bunch <laughs> of odds you should never believe them and then immediately after you'll see another thread saying oh my god i can't believe you guys sent me a chocolate cake you guys are the best <laughs> who cares about the headphone you cared enough to send me a chocolate and it's incredible and when i think of this it's not such a big thing right it right. all be a restaurant where we got a, a bad dish or something or the other and then they give you a free dessert and it's almost 
expected. You'd feel insulted if it didn't happen in a restaurant. When you make a mistake as an e-commerce company, everyone accepts, expects you to do absolutely nothing about it. Maybe give you like a 10% voucher or something at the end of it, but do absolutely nothing about it. We And everybody in our team is empowered to simply order a chocolate cake, get it delivered to a customer with an apology note. And I, I have not seen a more universal reaction to receiving a chocolate cake at your doorstep other than to say, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> People invariably just forget that we screwed up, <laughs> right? We made a mistake and um, they forget that and they just love us for the fact that they see it as a genuine gesture. And so, yeah, if somebody were to take the trouble of just going online and searching for customer complaints, you'll find a whole bunch of people just talking about cake. Yeah, I think uh, as you previously mentioned, it's just that the fact that very few would be doing something like this really makes the it makes you stand out, right? As compared to people who just don't have any expectation. Even we speak about customer service, great story, man. Great, great way to really mellow down that anger of the customers. <laughs> My next question is. What are some of the most commonly given advices when it comes to headphone selection or purchase of headphones? But it is often wrong that you see. We sell headphones and or when we when we make headphone recommendations, you typically find that we come from a place where we really understand our product and we understand that our product is a means to an end. And the end is really for a person to listen to music um, and really feel like the music is being performed right here in front of you. The aim of good sound always is that you forget that this music is coming from a pair of speakers one inch away from the ear. And you're able to visualize that this music is being performed right here in front of you. It's to fool your brain into believing that they don't, the headphones don't exist anymore. So you typically find that people have grown up listening to music in crappy sound quality. Right. And the benchmark for good sound is so low, not just in the country, but everywhere in the world, that people have really no idea what good sound should mean. Mm. But you'll typically find that uh, one perception of good sound is that we should have a lot of bass. Right. If something has a lot of bass, it typically means that this is good sound. So it's so often that I get customers who pick up the phone and say, hey, listen, I'm a real big audiophile. I love good sound get me something that has the highest amount of bass that money can buy. And I want to, I, I have no disrespect for a person's choice or his taste, but it usually comes from a place where a person doesn't understand what good sound is and is therefore looking for something with the maximum amount of bass. And the example that I keep telling them all the time is that, listen, you don't go and order a bhel puri or you don't go and order Chinese fried rice and tell him that, listen, I want the maximum amount of spice in it. We need a balance of everything, which is what makes it fun and palatable to eat. Sure, everybody likes things spicy or less spicy, mm. but the aim is not to make it as spicy as possible. And it's the same with sound, right? If I'm going to convince your brain that this music is being performed in front of you. Unless you're standing one inch away from the loudest speaker in a nightclub, <laughs> you're definitely not hearing music the way that that sounds anywhere. And so I would say that's probably the biggest misconception that people have, that good sound is equated to bass. Whereas my perception of good sound is not to do with any technical aspect of the sound. It's simply a headphone or a speaker's ability to help you visualize that the music is being performed in front of you. Mm -hmm. 
And if we were to introduce somebody who is a first timer into the world of good quality sound and, and uh, appreciate high quality headphones, how would you really recommend uh, them to get into that world? And also a follow up question, is it something which is it is a taste which needs to be acquired over a period of time? Or some people just do not get it. For example, like I really enjoy good sound and good music. Okay, I have appreciation for maybe investigating in a good equipment. But when it comes to my wife, she just needs a pair of headphones, which just works. It doesn't matter what is the text technical specs, or is it like the Apple AirPods or is it the AirPods Pro doesn't matter. I just need to make a communication happen. I just want to watch Netflix, it should just work. So is it that there are some people who will not develop that inclination to learn about good quality sound? Or is it people come with that DNA <laughs> when they're born? So I don't, so it's a little, it's a little hard for me to answer that question. Let me tell you um, what I think. My opinion is that there are some people who are audiophiles and there are a lot of people who just love enjoying listening to music. And it's a little different if you really take a step back and think about it. Who's really an audiophile? It's a universal thing in India. Everybody loves listening to music, right? It's very rare that you find a person who doesn't enjoy listening to music. It's quite crazy. So if you consider that everyone loves listening to music, who's really an audiophile? An audiophile is a person who doesn't just enjoy listening to music. He's also someone who cares very deeply about the way the music sounds. Now, the example I keep giving everybody is let's imagine a popular track like Kabhi Kushi Kabhi Gum, right? Mm. Uh, the minute that Kabhi Kushi Kabhi Gum plays, you'll find that most people who enjoy listening to music are now visualizing Jaya Bachchan standing with a thali and Shah Rukh Khan running in slow motion uh, into the house. That's the first thing that comes to your mind. And that's 99% of the population who loves listening to music. The 1% of the population who is an audiophile Hmm. Not just is not just listening to the music, but is also appreciating the way it sounds where they're listening to Lata Mangeshkar's voice hmm. and they're able to hear the breath of her voice coming out from her mouth, her lungs. It's literally incredible to hear that detail coming out from her mouth. It sounds like she's about two inches away from your ears. And then you hear the dhol and the tabla in the background getting louder and more powerful and a string section coming in with the crescendo growing overall, giving you that moment of hype. That's an audio file. Now, most people are very happy just listening to music because that's what they're passionate about. They don't have to be passionate about good sound, the two exclusive things. And there are people who are very passionate about the sound of it, which of course, you know, are, are the kind of people that buy expensive headphones and buy uh, fancy headphones. There are people who just like watching a movie. They don't care whether they watch it on their phone or they watch it on a big screen. And there are cinephiles who really want to list, watch movie at the highest Dolby Atmos, high resolution movie watching experience that they can get. Sorry are, to interrupt, but what is cinephiles? Cinephiles are guys who are really just into movie watching. I mean, ah, okay. <laughs> that, yeah, right? please continue. Yeah. Yeah. There are people who just buy a car to go from point A to point B. And then there are people who will buy a car and do a road trip to Leh and Ladakh, take it <laughs> off-road, just push the damn thing to its limits. Or, so everybody has got like a base level that they're interested in. And then there is a deeper level that they push their hobby to. And I was probably in the first level for a long time. And then once I understood what good sound is, I go to the next level. So to me, the best way of experiencing and understanding this 
is to really understand what good sound means. I do a workshop, which is usually a two hour long workshop called Audiophile 101. I usually prefer doing it in our experience studio in Bombay because I bring the headphones and you can hear what good headphones can sound like. But during the lockdown, I've even done a couple of these on Zoom, where I walk you through song after song, kind of telling you what to listen for in the music. And once you've heard it, once you know what to listen for, a switch goes off on your head where now you're not going back to bad sound. So I would say that's probably, in my opinion, the best way of experiencing it, where if you sit with an audiophile or somebody like me and allow this person to really explain to you what to pay attention to, Mm. and your brain will start focusing at the right things and you will go from just listening to music listening to the way the music sounds amazing i think it, it, it's a way of educating one to really focus on these intricate details and once they the brain is trained for that they can never go back to the old ways okay your website headphonezone.in is actually a fantastic resource when it comes to anyone who's looking for quality audio solutions and you guys have done a great job in curating it categorizing it and the entire user experience is quite enriching. So if somebody goes for the first time there, they really will benefit from seeing the wide range of selection available there. There are a few terms which are completely new to me. It could be the case for the people who are listening. What do you mean by a DAC and an AMP? And these are Google friendly things. I think we can Google and get it, but I think it will be great to hear from you. All right. So you don't just buy an expensive headphone. An expensive headphone is just the end of a long chain of equipment that you really need to enjoy uh, listening to the music. So let's start with the fact that the majority of the music that we listen to today are in a digital format. They're in zeros and ones. They may not have been recorded in zeros and ones, but that's certainly how we're listening to music today because the convenience of streaming music or listening to music from a music CD or you know on an MP3 file, just out trump having it on a vinyl or on a tape or whatever the original format was. So if you consider the fact that when music was recorded, it was an analog signal. It was voices. It was instruments that were taken by an electrical current to a tape deck or taken to a recorder or in whatever form. At some point of time, the digital information needs to translate back to an analog signal that you can hear because our ears understand analog. Our ears don't understand digital. So now the problem is that When the music is stored in a digital format, its ability to sound good is often limited by the ability of your device, your phone, your headphone to convert the digital format to an analog format. Somewhere between the MP3 file or the Spotify streaming service that you're using and your ears, it needs to go from zeros and ones to a waveform. Let's assume you're using your 3.5 jack on your mobile phone and you hit play. The mobile phone has a DAC or a digital to analog converter chip. Think of it like a sound card. Hmm. And it gives you an electrical current that comes out as a wave via the 3.5 mm jack that goes up the cable to earbuds, moves the magnets and therefore plays sound. Now, if I'm listening to music at a really high quality, the bottleneck in this entire chain is very often the digital to analog converter. Right? There's no point having a sound which has a saxophone, a trumpet, a trombone, uh, a violin, if the digital to analog converter is going to make all those instruments sound pretty much the same. Mm. Right? Uh, 0101001 means trombone, 0100001 means trumpet, and 0101001 means Lata Mangeshkar's voice. A digital to analog converter needs to be able to understand that and reproduce the electrical wave with precision and accuracy. 
Now, another way to understand this is to think of it like this. If I were to play the very same MP3 file, the very same MP3 file with the very same headphone hmm. on a Nokia 1100 and an iPhone 12, would they sound the same or would they sound different? It'll sound different for sure. It's the same MP3 file. It's the same headphone. The difference is essentially the DAC. The Nokia mm. 1100 probably has a 50 rupee DAC. The iPhone 12 probably has a 500 rupee DAC. What we tell you is that if you are buying a headphone worth 10,000 rupees and above, the 500 rupee DAC is not going to cut it. You need to get yourself a better DAC. And mm. DACs can be as cheap as two, three, four thousand rupees, but they are infinitely better sounding than the inbuilt DACs that come with these mobile phones and laptops. Mm. So a digital to analog converter is extremely important if you're listening to high quality music, because just using your mobile phone or your laptop is not going to give you music in the highest quality that you can hear it. Now, the next problem is, let's, let's say you want the convenience of a wireless headphone, right? Then the Bluetooth signal between the mobile phone and the wireless headphone is a digital signal. Right. It's in zeros and ones. Therefore, the conversion from zeros and ones to a sound wave happens inside the Bluetooth headphone. And so a lot of Bluetooth headphones have digital to analog converters in them, but unfortunately, they're usually really bad. So there's really no added advantage of using it over Bluetooth versus using it from your 3.5mm jack on the mobile phone. But if you use a good digital to analog converter, either in the Bluetooth headphone or you plug it into your mobile phone or your laptop, it makes a huge difference. So for any given headphone that anybody owns right now, which is let's assume somebody's got a little bit premium, anything about 10,000 rupees, and they just introduce a DAC and it could be a completely different experience when it comes to sound. It could, but assuming that you're listening to music in good quality, there's no okay. point buying yourself a full 4K, full HD TV if you're watching YouTube videos at 240. <laughs> so, uh, the first thing you got to change is that you got to stop listening to music in crappy quality. Stop using YouTube, stop using Ghana, Savan, stop using MP3 files, probably stop using Spotify. At a minimum, I, 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 I usually recommend using Spotify Premium or using Apple Music or listening to music at the highest quality that's available as a streaming service, which is to use a streaming service like Tidal. Wow. I think that there was a very detailed explanation of how this whole sound conversion happens. I think that was beautifully put. I think very helpful. And uh, I think very few are even aware there is a device such as like a DAC. I myself was completely enlightened when I went to your website that there is this whole range of products available, which means if I actually introduce that even to my computer system or to my any audio system, it, it is going to be an upgraded experience, right? It should be. But usually I recommend that if you've got a limited amount of money to spend, the money should first be spent on the headphone. Right? You mm. buy a fancy car and then you upgrade the tires. You don't buy the tires for a not so fancy car. Okay. 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 So let's get the fundamentals right. That's what you mean. Yeah. So I had the follow-up questions about the resources for good quality sound. And you, I think, mentioned Tidal and Spotify Premium. Is there anything else? Tidal, is it open for Indians? I, I think there's uh, a limitation. Yeah. That, so right? Typically because of the copyright restrictions and laws that we have in India, Tidal isn't officially launched in India. Okay. Uh, the okay. only people who really use Tidal are audiophiles. They're the guys who really care so deeply about streaming music in high quality that they go through hoops and rings to be able to use Tidal in India. I've written a blog post about how to use Tidal in India. It comes with a set of instructions that involve using a VPN and things like that. So right. He's right. interested in learning how to or using how to uh, using Tidal in India. Uh, it typically costs about twenty dollars a month, but it's, it takes about ten minutes to set it up. 
Okay, great. I think we'll add that in our show notes. So I'll get that uh, article. Okay, and shifting gears, I want to ask you some questions uh, about you know your early days. So were you an active member of the music festivals, and were, were you attending these events during your college years? And did, did you have any of your favorite bands then? I'm a musician, and I love listening to music. I love playing music. I've played with several bands in in my years growing up. But uh, most of my college years, I wasn't here in India. I was in I was in Singapore. Uh, where i was studying so before that i wasn't legal to go to any music festivals here in india and and then after i came back then i never really had the 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 circle of friends and acquaintances who shared that common hobby with me to go to it so i've honestly never i don't you don't normally see me at the large weekender festivals or, or the, 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 the the concerts and all that for me i i love theater i love musicals i love going for smaller intimate gigs because you really get to enjoy the music and, and enjoy the performance and nowadays with a lot of music concerts going online i love watching on the the concerts and watching the shows online this evening i'm watching kintan sereho and bianca uh, perform uh, their original take on john mayer so i'm really enjoy- looking forward to that concert this evening wow wow okay what is something that most people do not know about you i'm a I'm a very serious and very passionate connoisseur of idli sambar. <laughs> um I take very seriously. Uh, really? No, I've heard you say that before but then I, you you re- really still mean that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For me it's my comfort food. I can have it three meals a day, seven days a week. It's what I've grown up eating because I'm from Chennai. Okay. Uh, and I have a very strong opinion on what goes into making a good idli and a good sambar. Um Uh, in the country which is the best city which has got the best idli sambar i don't know a, yeah i don't know if there's a best city but let's say if i'm in bangalore my perception of, of good idli uh, good sambar is probably brahmins mtr as these are the kind of places that i love in, in in bangalore if i'm in chennai i would say it is palm grove i would say it is woodlands palimar used to be a really great place with great idli here in bombay it is probably muttu swami it's probably ramashray these are the places that i enjoy in if listeners are from delhi i really enjoy the idli sambar from karnataka cafe it's one of the best that i've had in the country so depending on where i go in, in the entire country i always have my idli sambar places it's like the raghav somani's michelin guide book to great idli sambar i think you should write a blog post on that <laughs> <laughs> but i'm convinced yeah, yeah like you're legit man then you're really legit about your idli sambar that's for sure uh, what have you changed your mind about in the recent times something you held as a strong belief for a long time and then in the recent times you've changed about it for a long time i used to really believe that as long as you're passionate about what you do and you're really uh, convinced and you work hard around it that you can achieve a lot of success but one of the things i've realized in the recent past is that's just not enough to achieve success in what you do by yourself unless you have somebody to share it with today i'm convinced that there's no point being passionate about something and working about something unless i have somebody to share my passion with because no one's really going to understand why you are doing what you're doing unless they understand it too you're not going to be motivated to continue so i'm very lucky that i share my passion for different things that i i feel very strongly about with people around me my wife bhavika we got married last year we both run headphones on together we've been working together for 7 years now she really understands my passion for what we do she understands my passion for building a great brand selling great products and delivering outstanding customer service she understands my passion for for for, for music listening and 
there are several other people that i've been very fortunate to surround myself with who i truly believe in sharing my my passion with i think that until now i would always look at um what you do and how you do it as a very lonely exercise that you have to fight that battle and do on your own and achieve what you want to achieve but when i look around me and i look back at history and i look at people who were really able to change the world with something that came from passion they never did it alone it was always through a shared passion with a small group of highly committed motivated people that had a, a common belief today i have really prioritized building a great circle of friends and family around me with whom i can share uh, everything i believe in wow what a, what a great insight uh, raghav you you are a young entrepreneur and the wisdom that you just shared it seems like it comes from people who are much much older than you so it's really interesting to hear that man thank you i'm i wouldn't say i'm too young i've been doing this now for 10 years so no that's your experience in entrepreneurial thing but you are a young guy right it's not and i think I, these kind of insights come from people who have just gone past 40 50 and had some life experiences at a different level so it's very interesting to hear that from you thank you when you think of the word uh, successful uh, who's the first person who comes to your mind and why and that's a hard one if i had to think of somebody that i'd call successful i'd probably say my mom is somebody who you know is uh, got married at a relatively young age moved in with my large joint family wore several hats daughter in law wife daughter then mother and and in general you'd find that her goal post for success kept changing through through life different things came and when i was born when i was growing up when we moved into a smaller home bigger home nuclear family joint family when grandparents started falling ill and passing away the goal post of what she needed to achieve what she needed to do kept changing again and again that's hard it's very easy to be elon musk or steve jobs with a single minded goal to achieve something in your company but if somebody kept changing that goal post for you every couple of years then i don't know how many of these guys would have achieved any amount of success in their life so to me the way i look at it the fact that i grew up in a very inspired hard working household and uh, and and the fact that i had a, a wonderfully happy upbringing and i have a lovely family life today came from the fact that my mother was able to achieve those benchmarks of success repeatedly time and time again over several decades and i think that's a common story that you will find in every indian household where the mother of the house is really responsible for everything that matters and so i think that's my probably my benchmark for success it's not a very entrepreneurial answer but no no i think it's beautiful very well put i think one of those things that people are not pausing to have a look at actually very well put the fact that it made me think if there was a goal post which was constantly shifting yeah as you rightly said you know it's very easy to have one single agenda and goal for life and then pursue it and make it a grandiose success story but people who are actually doing this on a daily basis on a face to face in their life we really haven't paid attention to that that's very well put man thank you and what are some of the books that has uh, shaped or have had positive impact in your life when you look back man so many books i'm not a big reader although i love listening to stories i love telling stories i'm a, a bit of a storyteller if you haven't figured it out one of the books that i think has had a huge impact uh, uh, on me has been a book called delivering happiness written by a guy called tony shea he started zappos yeah, right absolutely. yeah for a long time i would 
you know, struggle with this idea of what good customer service meant and why is it important. And I think reading that particular book really cemented the idea that I'm not doing something stupid. This is something that's a time and tested model that has an impact. So I, there's a lot of lessons we took away from the Zappos playbook and used here in India. And invariably, when I meet the founders of other businesses and other companies, that's usually the one book that I tend to gift them because I'm so convinced that nobody in this com- country uh, has learned to value customer service. Mm-hmm. Uh, a- any specific uh, takeaway that you want to share from that book that you have implemented? Um, I think to really build a culture mm. of uh, creating um, good customer experiences. You'll all often find that customer service is usually just the domain of the, the customer service team. Mm. Uh, but in our com- company, we make sure that every single person in whatever role they are in the company are still well-trained, capable of picking up the phone and, and helping a customer out in any way that you can. And to be able to build that culture where we say that it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of the company and it doesn't matter if it's your first day and the, uh, on, on the job, you still have to be in a position to uh, serve the customer because that's essentially who we are and that is what we do. So I think that is one big thing that I took away from that book. And I'd love to see leaders, marketers, COOs, CEOs, CXOs of large companies from time to time making themselves available to their own customers. I don't really see that. And it, 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 if you look at social media, you see so many people tagging CEOs and tagging mm-hmm. leaders, telling them, listen, my delivery came late. I want a refund. Your customer service team is not really doing anything. Please help. And then the company would swoop in and say that, please send us a DM and we'll look into your case or whatever. Right. All of this is just because people are convinced that there are good people running businesses with bad customer service. Mm. Right? Mm. None of this would be an issue if a person got good customer service from human beings that they believed in. So it's usually one of those books that I tend to gift a lot of people around me. Great point. Any other book which have had a really good... Or what is your current read, by the way? What's my current read? I'm reading a book on the... the, So here's a book that I I, I recommend. It's a book that I read some time back. It's called The Corporation That Changed the World. Okay. And I'm just Googling who uh, wrote the book. Uh, it's a book about the East India uh, Company, and they were really the, one of the, f- the first multinational businesses in the world. And for 250 years, they were what Apple is today or Google is today. 250 years, they dominated the corporate world and they built a business model that stood the test of time. The Corporation That Changed the World, written by Nick Robbins. I highly recommend that book for anybody who wants to understand why we were ruled uh, by the British and how they ruled the world uh, and built an empire that never sleeps. Okay. Do you have any favorite documentaries uh, or or movies? Wow, too many. Um, (laughs) One documentary that I really watch from time to time and I highly recommend is The Seven Ages of Rock by the BBC. They made a seven-hour, seven-part documentary talking about rock music, how it started and how it evolved and changed through the decades and different bands and artists and the influences that they had. And to me, it's the most definitive documentary introducing anybody to you know, all aspects of rock and roll music and its history. And I really enjoyed that documentary. I highly recommend it to anybody who loves listening to rock music. Sure. Okay. Anything else that comes to mind when you think of movies? I'm sure it'll come to me. Men's section, but I, I can't <laughs> think of one right away. 
Yeah, yeah. You can if you, take your time if you want to just Google it. Also, I, I'm cool with that. So yeah, I know it'll come to me eventually. I promise you. So uh, you are exceptionally good with your communication skills and in the way you present. And as you just stated some time ago, you are a storyteller. So when you are put in front of a camera or you're put in front of an audience, you seem to really be a natural there. So I'm curious, uh, is it something that you worked hard at developing or honed that skill or you, you, it's like a family thing? What's the story behind that? No, definitely not. It's not a family thing for sure. Both, I don't know. I just think that I, I always had a little bit of spotlight growing up. I was the only child in my house. I loved listening to stories. I loved telling stories. I could pretty much narrate like one and a half, two hours of the Ramayana to anybody standing in front of me when I was a three-year-old. Uh, wow. <laughs> okay. By the time I was five, I could non-stop talk and narrate the Mahabharat for two and a half, three hours. If you read my, any of my report cards from kindergarten, they tell, they probably say this only that he's just full of stories of the Ramayana and the Mahabharat because that's what I grew up listening to. By the time I was 14, I was giving interviews to news channels and this is when news channels were actual news channels. Uh, <laughs> talking about why I collect airline baggage tags. I was 14 years old. I had no idea why I collect airline baggage tags, but I was nonetheless giving these stories on, on news networks when I won the Guinness World Record. When I was 18, I became the head boy of my school. And now all of a sudden I had to sound uh, inspirational, authoritative. I had to sound like a role model to hundreds of kids who for some reason or the other, looked up to me as a role model. And I was a fish out of place right there. And then as a musician, I'm a pretty reserved, stiff guy. But as a musician, when I'm performing on stage, I had to make sure that the audience was, was feeding off my energy on stage when I was playing music. And, and then by the time I got to school, I realized that these are all things that can help you in business as well. Wow. I don't really think I had I'd worked towards it or I did anything specific towards it. I just think I got a lot of opportunities to listen to stories and then tell stories. Great. And when I looked at your website, it, it was interesting to see that each of your team members, they have their own playlist, which is available for people to download and plug into. That's a great idea. How did you come up with that? Because one of the things that we've, we realized when we were building Headphone Zone was that people, people look at brands with a little bit of skepticism because they usually see a, a money-hungry company. But people trust other people. If you look at another individual who shares your passion for music, who listens to the same music that you listen to uh, and loves, loves it the way that you love it. You invariably always find a common ground or a common place of passion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now, I can shout it as much as I want from the mountaintops that headphone zone. We love music. But man, and you're never really going to believe it unless you're speaking to a human being that you kind of connect with at a more fundamental level. We added two extra words to our little tagline where instead of just saying we love music, we added two words that go like you, we love music. But then we got to actually walk that talk. Mm. We, our email signatures have links to our playlists. Our team pages have links to what our favorite playlists are. And it, it, we have music playing in our office 24 by 7. There are multiple headphones and speakers that you can pick up and listen to. But it's like going to a music store and they don't exist anymore. But mm. back in the day when you had music stores uh, like Landmark, Planet M, Music World, these were places I grew up. And you would just walk in to listen to the music. And if you were lucky enough to pick up a headphone from one of the music stations that they had, there were so many people I know of that could just listen to album after album, just listening to this music right. so they can buy it. And music stores don't exist anymore, but places like Headphone Zone are places where 
we have to walk the talk it's just not enough to say your passion uh, about music you got to experience it and remind yourself why you do this every day mm-hmm. amazing i think i still remember the time i used to walk into uh, planet m and we had to wait in the queue because there's somebody in that booth with the headphone on and once his turn is done then you get to you know go with your album and play what you need to play there so that was an interesting experience yeah and music stores record stores don't exist anymore it's a real shame and it's not because people don't know where to get music because now we have unlimited music at the tip of our fingers the entire world's music library available for free practically at our fingertips mm. but what i think we lost was a very social experience where music listening is n- was never a singular individualistic passion right people went to concerts to uh, connect with other people who shared that passion with you they went mm-hmm. to watch music performances with other fans and people to to have a very social experience and one of the things that we did during the lockdown is that we would have music listening sessions on zoom and we would have one every weekend we did it for nearly maybe about a year from last jan to this december where every weekend we would have a music listening session on a particular artist or a particular theme or a particular genre where there would be a, a person who was hosting it who would talk about the artist and invariably we would all sit at home and just listen to a track on apple music or spotify or on a playlist together Mm. right but the experience is so social because on the chat box you are hearing people share stories about how where they first heard the song what are things that they heard in the music that they never knew were there earlier an interesting story that they could share about when they met the artist sharing pictures of when they went and shook hands with this singer and what not and right. it's an incredible experience it's the closest thing that i've seen coming to a live concert Um, so we don't do these listening sessions on Zoom anymore but we do host listening sessions in our experience studio in Bombay on weekends. And okay we- that is a in person experience for people who can come. Yeah okay. typically about okay. 25 30 people per session on weekends uh, a listening session usually on a particular genre or on a particular artist that we're featuring that weekend. Awesome. And uh, okay here's my last question and then I'm going to let you go you have chosen to run your business in a very conservative way not like a very aggressive approach and you plan to go and play the long game so what do you see with this approach headphone zone in the next 5 10 years what's that you have in mind for the company so i don't know if we've got 5 year 10 year plans because i'm not really sure if i look at business as such a large enterprise or such a long term goal so we're very focused on what we're doing today and what we're doing in the near future because that's that's as far as my vision and horizon goes at least as far as business is concerned and at this point of time the fundamentals for our business are pretty pretty strong where everybody loves listening to music everyone's got a access to unlimited music in their smartphone so invariably at some point of time people are going to need a headphone to be able to listen to the music so that's an opportunity that we identified 10 years back and people like apple have realized it recently people like samsung are in it people like google the, the biggest of the biggest world's companies have understood the potential of headphones and earphones so we're kind of moving to the next niche that we see which is not just any headphones and earphones but headphones and earphones that sound very good so which means that we're not going to be a business that's going to cater to everyone we're going to cater to a niche of people who care very deeply about the way the music sounds but this doesn't make it exclusive we're not expensive our most Uh, inexpensive headphones that genuinely sound better than headphones that are worth several thousand times the price uh, can be as accessible as a thousand rupees 
for less than 1000 or 2000 rupees you can get headphones that sound very good sure they may not be bluetooth they may not be james bond style true wireless they may not have 10 degrees of waterproofness and things like that but they basically just do one thing which is that they sound good so it's important that we let people know that while we're not for everyone we're not exclusive to people who are rich music listening and audiophilia can be a very affordable hobby who who want to get into it great raga uh, this has been a fantastic conversation uh, i know that we could really go uh, on and on maybe we can plan a round to sometime but it was really great to have you on the show any final parting thoughts that you have no man this has been great listening to uh, to stories has been a, a great passion of mine since i was a kid and i think your podcast does a fabulous job of that so i wish you great luck in in making sure that there are many more interesting people and interesting stories that come on your podcast and i look forward to listening to all of them Thank you thank you Raga where can people find uh, you where are you most active Facebook Instagram Twitter they all work really well and in case it's a little more serious LinkedIn as well Okay what's the handle you want to share the handle Sure on Facebook Raghav Somani you should find me pretty easily on Twitter it's it's again I think it's raghav_somani on Instagram it's raghavsomani1988 and on LinkedIn as well if you just search for Raghav Somani I should be available there All right I think I hope to catch up with you sometime on a clubhouse uh, event too maybe in the future we'll see Absolutely. that <laughs> Thank you Raghav it's been a blast having you and uh, good luck man Thank you so much really appreciate it Talk soon yeah bye I hope you enjoyed the show all the key points discussed will be available in the show notes at uh, www.rareearth.com that is r a r e e a r t h.com <laughs> yes there is no a in that Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you really liked and enjoyed the show, please do give me your feedback, review and rate it on iTunes or any listening app of your choice. Do subscribe and share with your friends. Thank you.